Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 140, where in a moment we're chatting side hustles and additional income streams. But please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows. Because in our programmes to date, we featured loads of stuff. Mortgages, investing, wills and powers of attorney and heaps more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last time, we looked at mortgages with no deposit. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get us there. As I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show, and then that way you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis, and joining me as always, the star of our show, Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? Good, thank you. Okay, so side hustles and additional income streams. First of all, what is a side hustle or an additional income stream? Yeah, I would say I, I would describe a side hustle. It's a way of making additional money from out with your primary source of income. So it, it could be a small business, a second job, or, or just as Del Boy and Rodney would say, just sort of wheeling and dealing. That, that's what <laughs> I would describe a side hustle as. Okay. Uh, do you think these have become more popular at a time where, you know, every penny's a prisoner and the cost of living crisis is sort of biting down? Yeah, definitely. I mean, with, with inflation being high and the cost of living going up, many people are desperate need for, for extra cash. So they're looking at extra ways that they can generate additional revenues it also, as well, a lot of people started at ways to get extra money during COVID. They were maybe off on furlough, not getting their full income. And they, they also had, because they weren't working, they had more time on their hands as well. So they looked into different options for making a, a wee bit of extra money on the side. So I, I think side hustles and additional income streams, it's something that's becoming a lot more popular and, and more common these days. How would I go about starting a side hustle then, Phil? Oh, man, do you know that there's a lot of different ways you can earn extra cash? I mean, it could be, like for yourself, I don't know if you'd be allowed to do freelancing. I suppose you'd need to check with the, the companies you're, you're working for. I, I suppose almost like for yourself, you have you do the, the radio DJing. Um, <laughs> and, and you could, I wouldn't quite say the podcasting is a side hustle, but some people <laughs> could maybe say, say that. But it's offering your skills and expertise in areas. So it could be things like, I mean, if, if you were good at writing, graphic design, web development, social media management, you, you could be a translator. I mean, if, if you were a, a foreign national, you might think, right, I can translate things for people. So mm -hmm. I could do a, a side hustle in that. could be consulting. I, I guess a lot depends what your main job and, and put, what your skills are and, and what things you, you know. To, to give an example for the likes of myself, now, one thing in my world is that financial advice is heavily regulated. So it's hard for me to do this outside the realms of my kind of day-to-day working environment. Yeah, yeah. But for, for example, one thing I could do, I, I could start doing like money coaching. So it's slightly different from, from financial advice. You get some people set up as a money coach and, and some of the skills that they may know as a financial advisor would help them be like a, a money coach. So it's just using the skills that you've got to to kind of see what else you, you can do. 
Yeah, freelancing. So that to me sounds like maybe offer up on the side what you do during the day for someone else, maybe. So in the old days, if you were talking about a tradesman, it's what you would call a homer, where maybe a sparky friend that you know who worked for a firm Monday to Friday might come around to yours on a Saturday and wire a few sockets for cash in hand, mates rates. These days, that that's a freelancing side hustle, right? Okay, what else have you got, Phil? Yeah, I mean, other things could be, I mean, like, I suppose the trades are a, a good example. You, you still get some tradesmen that will do, like, jobs, like you say, at a, a weekend. But other things could be, I mean, like, things like online tutoring. I mean, somebody could provide tutoring services and subjects that they excel in. So maybe if somebody was a school teacher during the week, they, they could do some sort of tutoring work at, at weekends. So, I mean, they, they could help people with things like maths, languages, science, music. Same as well, like, I mean, somebody doesn't need to be a teacher to do, do stuff like that. If you've got, like, really musical, you you might think, right, I want to help people with that at weekends, or you can use, like, online platforms and stuff as well. That's the thing these days. There's so many different things that you, you can do as a sort of side hustle. Yeah, funnily enough, two stories out of this. So my, my niece, when she was training to become a math teacher, would do online tutoring because she she was essentially qualified to do it. She just didn't have the, the piece of paper. And I, I imagine a, a, probably a lot of teaching students and teachers that are qualified do that as as a side hustle. Also, you were talking earlier about in COVID, a lot of side hustles sprung up then. You'd be surprised at, at who was doing side hustles or, or yeah. who was pivoting because I remember chatting to Evelyn Glennie, who is probably the world's first solo percussionist. And she was doing online tutoring for one-on-ones from her home studio obviously at a certain price i mean it wasn't just like 5.99 okay here's evelyn for an hour <laughs> but she was do she was taking on one-to-one tutoring during during that period so anybody yeah. anybody can, can be doing it you know if it, if it happens that you can't go and play with the viennese orchestra in in strasbourg then then you might have to do this sort of thing from home you could be doing this all day long as a financial advisor for teaching tomorrow's talent i mean i have to say some of this sounds like it, it might require though a little bit of investment as well not just of your time which applies to a lot of these suggestions, but also maybe a financial outlay to possibly set up a, an online course or or maybe for a web-based service which allows you to offer that that, that yeah. service. That's maybe something to bear in mind, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. You've got to weigh up any course that, that you would have. My, my oldest son just now, he's always thinking, right, what ways can I make a, a bit of extra cash? And he, he mentioned something to me not that long ago. He's like, Dad, I want to do drop shipping. I want to have my own drop shipping business. And I was like, what the heck is that? So he explained it all to me, and basically what it is, is it's where you've got an online store selling things that you don't physically have. So when somebody orders something from it, you then get it shipped to them from somewhere else, and you're making a bit of a margin on that. So basically, you're acting as a a sort of middleman. Now, if he went ahead with that, he would have things like setting up costs. He would, I mean, first of all, he'd have his time to research into things, but he'd also have the costs of things like building an e-commerce store, costs of marketing it. So you, you've got to factor all of that sort of things into account as well. Essentially, though, he's he's setting himself up as a small Amazon, isn't he? A wee bit. I mean, <laughs> it, it, can I, he's never done anything with it. He's often got ideas, which is great that he's thinking about things like that. But sometimes it is. It's just having an idea. Yeah. I, mean, I think I've maybe mentioned this on previous podcasts, but somebody once told me that Richard Branson, when he was a kid, he, he used to breed budgies. 
And the reason he chose budgies was that they seemingly breed very quickly. So he could sell them, like have the, the baby budgies, <laughs> sell them on, and then move on to the next one. So yeah. I, I, that was probably a bit of a side hustle, is it? And I think it's good when when young folk are, are thinking that way. And they're just young folk. I mean, and, and you can have an idea for, for things. And, and sometimes it takes off. I mean, I think, was it, no, I don't know, one of the shortbread companies, I think it was Dean's, shortbread again i think that the story i heard about that one was that she used to just do bacon for she used to make shortbread for like the local fairs and the school mm. fundraisers and stuff and then over time folk kept saying oh this is great you should start a business and then mm. start a business and look where it took them in the end yeah, so absolutely never know where things might take yeah Absolutely, it might take off. Certainly, in the, if it's if it's budgies that you're breeding, I tell you what though, and and, and you know if you're a, if you're a kid, and you have successfully astutely observed that budgies breed quicker, therefore I'm going to get a bigger return on my investment. That's someone that is going to grow up to be Richard Branson, isn't it? <laughs> and on the subject of shortbread, there's a you know w- w- out where I live, Phil, in in, in D side, sort of halfway towards you know Balmoral you've got all the layers of estates and things like that. And and one of the layers of our estate sus that his cook could actually be doing more. So he got baking some shortbread and they started putting it into like the local stores and things like that. And all of a sudden they've got a side hustle <laughs> where they're selling stuff out of Kinker Kitchens. Yeah. Okay. So what what's next? What have you got there? Yeah. Other things that you can do. A, a good idea if, if you've got the space is, Rent out a spare room. So if, if you've got a room in your home that you're not using, you could always look at renting that out. So if, if you've got the extra space, you could look at things like there, there's the platforms, things like Airbnb. You, you can use that to, to generate additional income as well. You, you are able to, the, there's what's called the rent a room scheme, where it lets you earn up to seven and a half thousand pounds per year tax free from letting out furnished accommodation in your home. So again, you, you've got kind of allowances there where the money that you, you could be making from some of these things might not even have to pay any tax on it as well, which, which is an added kind of benefit. Good little thing. Now this next one, pet sitting or dog walking. Now I've never known if you have to have any qualifications of any kind to be like a dog walker, but, but tell me what you're thinking of exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I, people are always looking for folk to take care of their pets while they're away. And it's same as well, I know in the area that I am, that there seems to be plenty of folk looking for things like dog walking services. My my partner, she's actually a, a dog walker. And I know she keeps in, she she could be as busy as she wants to be, to, mm. to be perfectly honest. Again, it's all down to the supply and demand wherever you are based. But I, I see on, on things like Facebook, some of these like local pages on there, see freak or, or certainly I come across frequent requests from people looking for things like pets sitting and, and dog walking, that that sort of thing. The the main cost that you've got, I mean I know for, for my partner, her dog walking business, the, the main cost she's got is her van. Now I guess that some people wouldn't need that. If you're within walking distance of whoever you're walking a dog for, then then you don't need it. The the other cost that she's got is her insurance. So I think she's got some sort of liability insurance as well. I, I would say it's good to get that sort of thing in case anything goes wrong. And I know if if I had a dog and somebody was walking it, I would be looking for that sort of thing as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's just an extra way to generate some some additional cast cash, maybe pet sitting, dog walking, that sort of thing. And like I say, demand in our local area for, for dog walking seems to, to certainly be quite high. 
I've never really thought about this next one, Phil. Renting out belongings. Yeah, I think renting out belongings, I mean, if you've got items that are not in regular use, you could consider renting them out. So things like camera, any tools that you've got, outdoor equipment, party supplies. I mean, like myself, I've got a gazebo, which paid quite a few hundred pounds. I paid for this gazebo. It was quite a good one. Now, I, I could hire that out to local businesses. I, I could give it to friends for, for a, say, like, I'm going to hire you out for 50 quid or whatever. So it's another way of making a wee bit of extra money. I mean, I, I've given that gazebo free to, to Ellen Castle Gardens. They, they've used it a couple of times in the past, but mm-hmm. there's nothing to stop you maybe saying, right, look, we'll give you that, but we would charge X amount. So that's just an example of how you can make a wee bit of extra cash sort of renting out belongings. You see, my fear here, Phil, is that you would do this, you know, you rent out your camera or whatever your tools, and you should never see them again. I wonder how you get around that. Yeah, I, I guess that is a factor to, to take into account. I mean, going back to the likes of my gazebo, I, I would only let people I know can I use it for, for that very reason? So some people are willing to take a chance. And I guess, I suppose if anything went wrong, that's when you would be sort of going to the police or you'd maybe want to try and draw up some sort of agreement for, for somebody. But I guess it's all a risk versus reward, is it? And that, that's yeah. something that we've mentioned quite a lot in the podcast in the past, well, I suppose, although in a different context. Yeah, I suppose, though, as well, if it's, if it's something you're not using and it gets nicked, then... <laughs> Take it off your hands for free <laughs> if you're not using it. Anyway. I know I've got a bit more space in the house to the gazebo, less in the garage. Oh dear. Now, I have tried the next one and I found it hugely frustrating. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. Participating in market research. What are you talking about here exactly, Phil? Yeah, if, if you sign up for online surveys or uh, the certain focus groups, consumer research studies, they, they'll sometimes offer you cash incentives. Now, I, I remember when I was probably in my late teens, early 20s, I used to do a lot of these sort of surveys to get the the cash or the incentive or whatever they were offering. But then the downside of that was that I then used to end up with loads of junk mail coming (laughs) through the post. And nowadays, I suppose it's not so much junk mail that you get, it's more junk emails that that you tend to get. So that that would be one of the downsides of that. But it's another way that somebody can make a a wee bit extra cash. But you know, not that you never get nothing for nothing, but there's always... Like a cat, the the reason they want your details and answer in these surveys is to think right. What products can we maybe entice them into somewhere further down the line? Yeah, you see, it sort of sounds great in principle. My experience of it is that you sign up for these things and fill in loads of info about you, so they're already getting you giving them something for nothing. And then when you're invited to take part in a survey, and you think great cash. They they start you off and you answer five to ten questions, then they say that you're not suitable for going any further, or they've got what they need for this survey. And again. Yeah. You've given them half an hour of your time uh, and more information for no return. So it's just a personal experience. Might be completely different for you. What's next, Phil? Yeah, I mean, other things that you can do is, I mean, if if you've got artistic skills, I mean, you could look at creating and selling crafts. I mean, if you enjoy crafting, you you can make handmade products, um, things like jewellery, artwork, home decor, items like that. You could either sell it at local markets or, or sell things online. There's a chap I know, he paints in his spare time and it's maybe a good opportunity for me to plug our recent show where we, we did one called <laughs> Investing in Art. So, but um, if, if you've got certain skills, I mean, if you're good at drawing, why not? Maybe uh, Scott Harrison, the boxer, 
he he's not a bad artist, and I've I've seen him on Facebook selling like his works of art, and and people will tend to buy them because they'll think, oh, that's Scott Harrison, the boxer that that's painted that, so I would quite like it. So um, yeah, that that's a sort of side hustle that somebody could have as well. You're never going to tell a boxer they're a bad artist. They're a bad anyway, No, definitely. <laughs> and he takes the gloves off first, presumably, when he's painting. <laughs> a good good idea for the arty amongst us. Next, content creation. What flies under that banner? Yeah, I mean, content creation could be things like people will start a YouTube channel, a blog, a podcast, and, and they can sometimes monetize the, the content through things like advertising, sponsorships, crowdfunding. I mean, I, I suppose for me, I mean, like what, one way I could monetize this podcast is I could get a, a show sponsor. So, I mean, that would be a way I could earn a, a bit of additional cash kind of there. So some platforms, like say YouTube, if you get enough views, you, you can get like paid for, for that as well. What's the one, I mean, there, there's a lot of, you've got all these folk like Logan Paul, Jake Paul, is it Karina Kopf? Is the the last say they they all go into is it things like Twitch and and stuff? There, yeah, there's platforms yeah. that I probably haven't even heard of. But yeah, but we we should probably we should probably do this, Phil, is monetize the content in some way. Now that you've got all the listeners, do you think folk would pay to see us do a like a live <laughs> podcast show? I've, I've listen. I've said to you before. Well, we should make it for free. We should just go along and do a question <laughs> and answer session. But but I've said to you before that we should do that. But no, I, I mean there are, there are other things. I mean if you look at podcasting alone. And just take it in a in a you know standalone circumstance. There are there are platforms like Patron where what you do is you, you put um, a certain amount of content behind a yeah. paywall. So it's a bit like you get it now with newspapers as well. If you subscribe for you know whatever pounds per month, then we'll give you all yeah. this content as well. It's it's making what you have and and taking it yeah. and making it monetized. Some people will pay for it, others won't. Yeah, I have seen things like that in the, the past as well. I know my kids, they, they'll watch people actually online playing games. Yeah. I, I kind of remember what site that is. But folk are actually like playing these games. They've got folk watching them. Yeah. And then because they've got so many people watching them, they yeah. get a cut of like the advertising that comes in. It's just nuts. And I'm always thinking, no, I didn't watch somebody else playing the games. Go and do it yourselves. It's just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It just shows there's more, there's, they always say there's more than one way to skin a cat. Absolutely. Next up, delivery services, Phil. Yeah, I mean, with that, you've got things like, I mean, some people will deliver sort of things for, like, say, Deliveroo, Uber Eats, Amazon Flex. And that earn, you can earn extra money by doing some of these sort of, like, delivering food or, or packages. One of my pals, he, he delivers packages for Amazon. He just kind of does it. As and when, they, they'll say to him, he gets sent a text message saying, right, there's this job here and you'll learn such and such if you want to do it. And he'll pick the ones that he, he wants to do. He maybe has to do so many in a week and stuff, I don't know. But he, the, the, like I say, there's there's plenty of extra ways that you can, can look at trying to earn a bit of extra cash. Yeah, I know a few who have potentially a good idea. I, I just know if I was... You know, if if I was working for one of the food delivery platforms, you'd be getting a phone call that, or you know, somebody would log online saying it's been an hour. Where's where's my food? And I'd be around the corner somewhere, hammered into it. This this next one again, I've I've never heard of. And as soon as I see it, you're going to come up with at least two big potential flaws: renting out your car. Yeah, if you've got a car that you don't use regularly, then again, you could consider renting it out through this car sharing platform. So there's one called Turo, another one called Get Around. These sort of things, I think, are starting to become a bit more popular. Folk are looking at different 
ways to, to kind of make money. And Turo, for example, they, they operate in big cities, so like London, Manchester, Edinburgh, but people actually can rent their car out through the likes of these companies and make a bit of cash doing that. Yeah, I mean, the sort of flaws I'm thinking of, it gets damaged or it gets nicked, but I suppose at least if you're doing it through one of these companies, they have already thought about it. They'll have some built-in securities for that kind of thing, will they? Yeah, Turo, for example, they, they've got like liability insurance, and they've also got what's called physical damage protection. So so they've got those things in place for, for people doing it through that as well. So that would be my biggest concern if it was my car I was giving away. You never know how somebody's going to treat your car as well. I'm yeah. always really careful in, in mind, but then different people, you, you might get somebody that's away racing it and thrashing mm-hmm. it about. Or kids eating, you know, takeaway in the back seat or whatever. <laughs> the, the other thing as well, I suppose, you know, you said that that Turo do um, sort of big cities. When you're talking about likes of London, nobody really wants to be taking a car in, into central London. Uh, for one thing, they, they, you know, you've got the levies that you have to pay depending on what sort of car you've got. So I imagine that's that's what they buy is, is cars that are efficient and are not going to get charged extra or any more than, than you know, it might make it actually financially viable to go and yeah. drive so far in, then rent one of those cars to get into the rest of, of, of London without having to pay any fines. Here's another, affiliate marketing. What's the deal with this one, Phil? Yeah, I mean, some people partner with companies or brands to promote their products or service and earn a commission on any sales made through perhaps like referral links. This isn't a just not that dissimilar to the, the drop shipping that I mentioned earlier. I suppose years ago, people used to go around and do, remember, like Tupperware parties and oh, Avon yeah. and stuff like that. You, you get a lot of beauty products, for example. You, you can actually, and, and the, that CBD products, I, I know a lot of people that have got their own sort of website and it's got their name on it. And if you buy, say, some of these creams or products from there, they get a cut of the, the kind of, like almost a commission for for somebody buying stuff off their website, so that's another way that you can can make a bit of extra cash as well. All right, and another online one here, which I suppose requires a certain amount of savvy. But again, I know some folk who've who've made a career of this virtual assistants. Explain that yeah, one, Phil. Yeah, I mean, again, if if you've got the skills, you might be able to offer kind of administrative or organisational support to busy professionals or or entrepreneurs remotely. So I, I know a few people who've got kind of like, almost like yeah, side hustle. And I mean, some will do it as a, a proper job doing like virtual PA services. But again, somebody might think I've got the skills to to help people remotely. Mm. I, I get offered a lot. I, I, in fact, I, I know a guy who's got a, a company and he actually outsources some of his stuff to people in India because the, the labour is cheap but I guess if what we're looking at here is people in this country looking to make a bit extra cash and again that that might just be something if you've got the skills to to kind of help people with admin or social media you might be able to to kind of earn a few quid extra doing that as well. Back to something you might be able to do just thanks to your living situation renting out garden space. Yeah I mean if if you've got a garden or, or allotment I mean, it might be that you could rent out space to individuals or groups interested in growing their own produce, for, for example. I mean, I, I know at my house, I, I'm not a particularly keen gardener. So, I mean, if I, I'd be happy for somebody to come in and use my garden for, like, it's not particularly big. I mean, it's, it's an okay size. But if you've got the space, some folk didn't have gardens. And again, during COVID, that, that was something that people 
like we, we saw a demand for flats probably that they didn't have gardens maybe reduced because people thought oh we want to be outside more and a lot of people like having a garden but they don't have one so they would be, be maybe willing to pay you a bit to to kind of almost lease out part of your garden for whether it's crops or, or whatever so or it could be that if you had like fields you might lease them out to somebody that's got horses Another, just a couple of examples of how you can, can make a bit of extra cash there if you've got the, the space. And penultimately for this batch of ideas, event planning or party hosting, Phil? Yeah, I mean, you, you'll find some people, they, they can maybe utilise their, their organisational and creative skills and they could use that to plan and host events, parties, other kind of things. Another one, I mean, one of the guys in our office he does DJing part-time, like rave DJing. They're the same sort of DJing <laughs> as, as you do yourself, John. But, and he, he doesn't make a lot from it. But again, that's a bit of a side hustle for him. He's he's here, there, and everywhere at weekends with his decks, um, making a few quid extra. So uh, again, that's, that's kind of like event planning, party hosting, using your skills that, that you've got. Good for him. Could be something for you. Yeah, finally, another fairly common one these days now, I think, personal training or fitness coaching. Yeah, if, if you're passionate about fitness, then you, you can look at becoming a certified personal trainer or fitness coach, and, and then you can offer that services to, to people as well. I, I know in the town that I stay, Jeepers, there, there was a heap of them like appeared for a, a spell, maybe not quite as many. The, the guys at Joe Wicks, I mean, he made a, a fortune, I think, by... Mm doing all these online courses and, and stuff like that. But I, I know people that'll have a mean job and then they'll do a, they'll have one or two clients that they start off with where they do a bit of PT sessions, personal training with them. And again, make a, a few quid extra that way as well. Yeah. And Joe Wicks, and I know this, not that I'm dropping a name clang, but I, I know this from, from having chatted to him. He started off with, with doing lessons in his local park. So it was, you know, turn up, you go out with a board and, and literally if you put it in the park and say there'll be um, fitness lessons here tonight from five o'clock if you want to come along it's only a fiver for an hour and, yeah. and he'd try and get people to come in that way and then realise that if you could do this in the park why not do it online and just and go from there and and that's that's how it happened. Yeah. Any any general advice about getting into side hustles Phil? I, I would probably say that when you're choosing a side hustle, consider the, the skills and interests that you've got and also your available time. I mean, that, that's an important factor as well. It's also important to comply with any legal or regulatory requirements as well. So things like obtaining necessary licenses or permits. Also consider the insurance coverage if applicable as well. So there, there are things, I mean, we've got all these ideas and look, can maybe do this to get a bit extra cash, but it is important to, to kind of comply with any legal or, or regulatory requirements as well. Okay. Now comes the, uh, the part of the show where Phil looks back over the course of his own life, both professionally and personally, to find an example of how today's topic has affected his own situation. So Phil, side hustles and additional income streams. What have you got on that? Yeah, I, I was in Dublin a couple of weeks ago for a, a rugby match. And when, when I was on the way to the stadium, there was a group of kids selling like cakes and home baking, that that sort of thing. And then not long after that, th there was another group of kids selling like sweeties and juice and, and snacks. And, you know, like when I saw that, I was like, that's great because they're just trying to earn a, a few quid. And whether it's somebody that's a child or an adult, people are sort of sometimes doing what they have to do 
just to, to get a few extra bucks in their pocket. I, I see a lot of what I would call side hustling when I go to America. I'll maybe go to a sporting event and then you come out and you've got all these folks selling T-shirts associated with that particular team or, or organisation. And, and same as well, after concerts, you might come out and folk are selling these the official merchandise, but like I often call it like the fake sort of T-shirts that they, they've had done. But again, that's folk hustling, just trying to make a, a few extra quid. I remember when I was in New York once and it was absolutely teeming down with, with rain. And then suddenly on, on the street corners, you had folks selling umbrellas, mm. rain mats, just on the... And, and they hadn't been there before, but as soon as it started lashing yeah. down, yeah. they appear, oh, do you want to buy this? We've got umbrella for $10. And it's just... To, to my kids, like Rowan, my oldest son, like I say, he's often thinking, right, how can I make a few quid? And I remember at Christmas time that there was different sort of Christmas ornaments. And I'd said to him, I said, look, you should buy a few, put them out. I like really reduced the price. I was like, buy a few, keep them till next year. And then you could sell them for double or triple what, what you'd actually paid for them. I suppose in that situation, you need the money up front to buy whatever mm. it is and then need to wait to get your, your money back. But another one, like that, I always think bonfire night or the, the firework displays, I mean, if, if you go to the, the pound shop, you can buy like these glow sticks and you might get three for a pound. You could then go to these events and sell them for a pound each and you've made a few quid <laughs> extra there. But again, it just, it's thinking a different ways to, to sort of do it. And and um, some people would be embarrassed standing trying to sell things, but whereas others, they, they didn't care at all. Yeah, absolutely. Horses for courses. Next is time for uh, the quote of the week. Phil's always been a fan and collector of quotes for... Well, a long time now. What do you have on our topic for this week? Side hustles and additional income streams, Phil. A Michael Jordan quote this week. Some people want it to happen. Some people wish it could happen. Others make it happen. Like that one. Now, uh, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your query. So if ever you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask him anonymously if you prefer. Let's get on to this week's uh, contact details coming up. I'll give it to you after these. This first one's from Gladys, who says, My son had debts just out of a four-year IVA. Earns a decent salary and wife works too. Rented for past 10 years with no defaulted payments. He's looking for a 100% guarantor mortgage. I would stand guarantor as have a mortgage-free property or 95% mortgage. He's been advised to wait a year. Is it possible to find a mortgage as described? I, I would say at the minute lenders wouldn't really consider this at the present time. I mean, things can change, but... You, you tend to find if, if somebody has had any adverse credit, lenders will like to see that their credit is repairing. They would also usually like a bigger deposit put down as well. So somebody looking for a 95 or 100% mortgage, if, if they've had an IVA, that's going to be a, a no-go for, for them. They, they mentioned about like guarantor mortgages. There's not many companies do guarantor mortgages these days and they tend to be more if somebody was maybe like in a professional career so they were maybe a trainee doctor or something that might be a reason some a company would look at a guarantor mortgage we, we did a show last week on 100 percent mortgages and one of the ones we covered on that was barclays they've got the family springboard mortgage and again even with ones like that they would want to see a good credit history so i, I think as things stand at the moment it just unlikely to be any options out there in, in that circumstances, unfortunately. 
Okay, well, it's an honest answer. Next up, here's one from Fiona Massey in Elgin, who says, Hi, Phil. I'm paying a fortune for leasing out premises in town for my hairdressing salon and thinking about converting part of my home to work with clients there. What are the pros and cons? I suppose the main pro is that you're going to be reducing your, your costs quite significantly. I suppose the questions you need to ask is things like, would people still be able to find you? Do you have the room in your home as well? And and I guess the con kind of is that part of your home then is taken up by having like work equipment and, and stuff there. Another thing that would be worth kind of looking into as well is saying, right, how would, if you have a mortgage with your, your lender, can I be happy with you having a business running from the house? So a potential con could be that it might make financing your home more difficult in the future. So there are probably a few things to, to take into account there that would be both pros and, and cons. Would you be ordinarily advised to, I mean, would, would you? Would it be incumbent upon you to, to actually go and say to your lender, look, I'm, I'm going to put my, my work here now? Some, some people, when I tell them, usually you'll find somewhere in the terms and conditions it'll say that you're not allowed to have like a business running from the property. But some, some lenders, if, if somebody was just at home and had a room that they did admin in, they're probably going to be okay with that. But then what you might find, if you had a, let's say, a, a car garage and you had a mechanics business, they might kind of think, right, if you've got that, would that impact the value of the property, that's the sort of things that the lenders, that's the kind of angle that they're coming from. So, so they might think, right, if it, oh, the house was dirty, for example, would if we ever had to repossess it, would that affect the resaleability? And, and that's the kind of things that, that lenders will take into account. Okay. Would you say as well, before you get in touch with the question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a lot of topics now and we may have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thank you for joining us for episode 140 of the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn too, or why not email Phil a question he can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question. And as I say, Phil could be answering in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we won't use your real name if that's what you'd prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. 